Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino, CEO of Valley Prop and your host on Business Growth on Purpose. And today's guest is Christina Inge. And Christina is an author, thought leader, and a real expert in this area of digital marketing and particularly marketing metrics, which is what we're going to talk about. Things that should be measured, can be measured, and how you, even in a small business, can leverage a growing wealth of technology and tools that are made available to companies, even at the smallest size, uh, in ways that wasn't even possible 10 years ago. So we're going to discover that, get into it, and see the practical application of some of these tools, some of these principles to help you grow your business on purpose. So let's welcome Christina to our show right now. Welcome, Christina, to Business Growth on Purpose. It's really nice to be here, Jose. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Christina, for our audience, uh, if you could just give us a little context, like what do you do primarily and who do you do it for? Uh, thanks for asking that. Um, I run Thoughtlight. We are a digital marketing agency that I founded in 2014 in Boston. And what I do, along with my wonderful crew, is help mission-driven organizations and that can be very broadly defined, get their message out there across digital channels in a way that drives positive growth in an efficient way. Okay, so leveraging all these new digital things, and some not so new, but that whole world. Okay, exactly. Our slogan is we make technology friendly. And that is a really big part of our mission, making technology work for you, instead of you having to struggle to fit into what the technology is dictating to you. Okay, well, and that's, that's a that's a big topic, uh, especially you know, just reflecting back on the last couple of years, right? So we've all, you know, we're hopefully coming out of COVID like fully, but supply chains are still impacted and so on. But the way people did business and are doing business has changed perhaps forever. So how has that changed the marketing landscape from your point of view, the things you do for your clients, uh, the fact that maybe, you know, uh, their clients are now much more open to having a conversation on Zoom than they might've been three years ago. Oh, it really has changed, um, but the fundamentals are still the same. So the tools that people use have changed, but I think what intimidates people is getting stuck on those tools. The reality is that the same fundamentals always apply. Delivering good customer service, having good product market fit, understanding your customers, aligning with what they need, and keeping that conversation open with your customers. That's pretty much always been the fundamentals of business and always will be from a marketer's perspective. What has changed is that we have many more tools available to us at different price points and a lot more comfort level with them than we did pre-pandemic. People are now technology um, focused. We've all gotten used to being on Zoom. We're not scared about it anymore. And so I think people are overall a little less intimidated by technology. So I think it's an exciting time, actually, because what's 
really significantly changed is people now are comfortable with tools that they've had access to for a while now. And then on the supply side, and then I'll then I'll shut up. Um, these tools are getting more and more affordable so that any company can, you know, use data-driven technologies now. Okay. Well, what's interesting about that though, at least what I found is, uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, clearly things are just, it's like every day, new tools, new, new things that, and also tools that work with other tools and, and so on. Uh, but one of the challenges, and I'm thinking now to a lot of our audience tend to be, you know, uh, B2B industrial businesses, uh, you know, let's say under 30 million. So they, they don't generally have like a marketing department. So even stuff that's forget affordable stuff that's free, you know, to use is, can be overwhelming. It's almost like what's that, the, the market, I guess the dilemma of choice, right? Too many options, like too many things to do. So if you're that person listening to this interview, and I want to ask on behalf of them, sort of, like, what should they, where should they start? Like, what, what's, what's the beginning point of figuring all this stuff out? Because they're, they're reading about it and they're seeing stories in the Wall Street Journal and say, why aren't we doing this? But don't know how to begin. You know, it seems like it's like climbing a mountain. Yeah, it's climbable, but it's, it's a lot of mountain. It's a lot of mountain. And I think that's where people get stuck is that it's a lot of mountain. It's there's tools to automate your messaging. There's tools to manage your social media. There's analytics tools. It's like, where do we get started? What do we do? And I would say, figure out what your biggest problem is. Is it that you're not able to customize the messages to your customers? Is it that you don't know where your web traffic is from? You, or you don't know what your spending on marketing is delivering in terms of ROI? Identify that one big problem and then go out looking for the tool that will help you solve that one big problem because that's going to do two things. One is it will get you started in a highly motivated way. It, you want that answer. So you're going to, overcome that initial discomfort maybe with the technology to get that answer. And two, you're going to get an easy win because once you get that answer, you're able to, for instance, customize your messaging. Uh, we've done that with a lot of our clients, help them customize the messaging that goes out to their customers. And then suddenly they're making all these sales. And that's a really exciting win that will give you the momentum to then keep working on your relationship with technology. So, Look for the problem you have right now. What, what, like, identify what's your biggest challenge or problem. Mm -hmm. Fix one thing as opposed yeah. to trying to fix all these things. And I think that there's sometimes FOMO sets in, right? So they see all these, like, all the cool kids are doing these cool things. Like you talked about automating messaging and and auto, you know, and that can include obviously things like you know whether that's on on Twitter, LinkedIn, or even uh, you know SMS and things like that. And it just seems like a lot. So I love that thought of bringing it down to one thing. But you also talked about one of my favorite topics, which is ROI. Like, so I, I do sometimes work with clients that I walk in and they're already spending, you know, six figures, multiple six figures on marketing. And I ask, oh, how's it going? And they go, well, you're in the room. So it's not going so well you know, I mean, for, from that point of view. So you've, you've recently uh, had a book published on mm -hmm. one of my favorite topics, Marketing Metrics. And, you know, that whole thought of measuring marketing to a lot of people who are not in large scale enterprises don't really know how to get their heads you know, wrapped around that thought. So if you, can you tell us a little bit about what's in the book and maybe some one or two key principles somebody could take away from this conversation that they might at least ask an intelligent question about? 
absolutely. So my book is Marketing Metrics, Leverage Analytics and Data to Optimize Marketing Strategies. Um, it's out right now from Kogan Page. In fact, it's 20% off now on Amazon. So if you go there, search for it by title or my name, you can get 20% off. One of the things I talk about in that book is knowing what I call your core four metrics. And these are your metrics related to excuse me, your understanding your ROI from your advertising, understanding your customers, understanding your content, which of course is critical to inbound, as well as understanding your market as a whole. And if you can divide, talk about getting rid of the intimidation factor with analytics as well. If you can divide and conquer and figure out which of these is most important to me, maybe right now I need to understand my competitive landscape. Okay. I'm going to focus my data collection on what will help me understand my competitive landscape. Doesn't mean the other stuff's not important, but you want to make sure that you are understanding where you're making the most impact with your analytics, same as you would be with your um, use of tools and technologies. Figure out what is your biggest category of questions you have around your business and then get good at collecting data around that. The nice thing about this is with analytics is that the same metrics will often help you measure multiple different things. For instance, knowing what keywords are driving traffic to your website is going to help you understand your customers, but it's also going to help you understand what of the content on your website is really attracting both customers and helping you rank on Google. So Figure out your big questions and then look at the data with an open mind because you'll find that it gives you more answers than you even bargained for. And then finally, I would say a lot of times what keeps people from looking at the metrics is not so much a fear of technology, but a, a fear of numbers. They're like, I, I'm a creative professional. I, I don't like numbers. Um, you know, numbers are all around us. You're using numbers all the time without even realizing it. Do not be intimidated. It's simple arithmetic. It, you know, you're not being asked to do heavy math because talk, the tools are doing that for us right now. Okay. You are there to be the strategist. So dig in, get, again, focus on the area that's most critical to you and you will, you will motivate yourself. Right. So for example, a question I'll ask even, especially almost everybody these days on a website will have a form of some kind. Exactly. Right? And I say, okay, well, how often is your form being used? Like, how often do you get an email that says somebody on your website filled out the form? And it's, it's shocking how, how often that answer gets a blank stare. Like, oh, yeah, we have a form, but I'm not, I don't know. I don't, and they don't, or they know it anecdotally. Well, I get a few a month. Is a few three? Is it 13? I mean, there's a big difference between that, depending on the kind of business you're in. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that, and then you talked about the competitive landscape. So let's say I'm a, a mid-tier competitor, right? So I'm not a Fortune 500 company. I'm a mid-tier competitor in mm -hmm. a very niche category, which is very typical of industrial companies. They tend to do one thing very well. How would I get a sense of how my competitors are doing? What, what indicators might be available to me? Because I can't call them up and say, hey, how are we doing? Can you share your P&L with me? So how do I get a, a, some visibility to how they're doing and how important is it that I do so? It's very important that you do so because without that sense, you don't know um, where, where, first of all, you don't have the benchmark, right? You don't know whether you're doing well or not. You know, your, you know your numbers, you know that you're maybe hitting your targets for income. What if you could be doing twice as well because everybody else is? 
Or what if you're absolutely crushing it, which will encourage you to crush it some more. So you need that for benchmarking. I actually prefer to look at competitive data more to benchmark yourself than to constantly be looking over your shoulder. That's not a healthy way to run a business because people become reactive rather than proactive. So I want to take a step back and say the, the mindset needs to shift to I'm going to reactively run my business by looking behind me all the time or looking around me all the time to I'm going to proactively use competitive data as a benchmark. And then some of the data is actually available in a lot of the common tools people use. Google Analytics, MailChimp, Constant Contact and full disclosure, we're a MailChimp and a Constant Contact partner at ThoughtLight. Um, so just to you know, be agnostic, a lot of the other tools out there will give you benchmark data on a lot of specifics, telling you, for instance, is that click rate good or bad? There's also in, for every metric, there's probably a company that has produced an industry benchmark report because they have mm -hmm. software to sell you. And if you give them your email address, they will give you that benchmark report, be very useful for you. So those are the two main places. And then there's a couple of tools I like. One is called SimilarWeb, and um, I'll send you the link that you can share with your listeners. Really, really great tool. Owler is another one, Meltwater. You name the price point. There are some tools out there that will tell you Moz, SEMrush, mm -hmm. how many in links are pointing at your competitor's website. What are they ranking on number one for Google, if anything at all? How many social media followers do they have and how engaged are they? How much web traffic do you, does it do? Could you estimate that they're getting from their um search results? All of that is available from zero cost to maybe like very modest cost. It's, it is fragmented, but it's all about just knowing what tool to use. And I'll put a few into the chat as well. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And, and, you know, one, one thought there too, uh, Christina is um, the need to like match up to peer sets. So like if I'm a $20 million company comparing my, my, uh, my web traffic or stats against a company that's $200 million is not that useful. No. Um, because I'm not $200 million. I want to get there. I'm not there yet. So, but being able to, to kind of zero in and, and I love the thought about, it's not about driving, looking at the rear view mirror, but every now and then, like on a GPS, you need to know, where am I, right? Mm -hmm. Where am I now? Like just how, to, you know, is this, is getting 10 form fills a month? Good is, you know, a thousand visitors good for my narrow niche. I would have, most people would have no idea what good looks like unless they have something to compare it against. So, so I, I love that advice. So if we move a little bit further down, kind of down the funnel, especially in B2B where sales is such a big, I mean, there's actually like a human being selling. It's not transactional. The web's not going to sell it for you. At, at best, you hope it generates an appointment and you can have a conversation, right? So that's very typical in industrial categories. What are some of the marketing metrics that tie into sales performance that would help somebody say, you know, my marketing machine is doing what it ought to be doing for us? Really good question. And sales metrics and marketing metrics are very different beasts. And that's incredibly important to remember because a lot of times people look at their marketing metrics, not their sales metrics. Mm -hmm. um, number one I would look at is how many leads are you converting? What percentage are you converting? Now those have to be qualified leads. So those would be, first of all, how many sales qualified leads do you have? 
not marketing qualified leads. If you're a multi, you know, a multi-person company, if you're doing this on your own, different story. But if you've got a marketing department, they're generating leads, they're qualifying the leads. They may not, they don't have the sales instinct. We marketing folks by definition are too introverted to go into sales. Um, so Look at your sales qualified leads. Who looked like a promising lead to your sales crew? And then of those, how many did they convert? That's the top metric. Because if you're getting promising leads in and you're not converting them, then either your sales performance is down or you're misjudging the leads that are coming in. Both of those are fixable, but they're different situations. Then you want to dig a little bit deeper. What are the commonalities? What are the common factors between the leads you converted and the leads you did not convert? Is it industry? Is it deal size? Mm. Is it something else? Look at those common factors. And it may not be something obvious. It could be the time of day you contacted them. It could be who the decision maker was. Not So keep an open mind towards all of your data. Don't say, oh, it's a certain deal size, for instance, and, and judge by that because it may be who the decision maker is. It may be where in the sales cycle you got a chance to talk to them. And then figure out, first of all, if there is a pattern and then what that is, then find out, well, how did I source those leads? Where did they come from? Because those may be your true sales qualified leads. Maybe you're qualifying folks based on the criteria that you have, but you need other criteria. And that's how you're going to find that out. And then you're going to have many, many more conversions because you've identified what your real qualifiers are. So again, take a look at who you're converting among your sales qualified leads. What do they seem to have in common? Everything's on the table. There's no, you know, there's no taboos. Anything could be a factor. And, you know, it doesn't have to be something that you've already looked at. And then from there, figure out how you source those and your pipeline is going to exponentially open up. Most people don't do that. And I don't know why, but that's something that every organization should be doing. And frankly, they should be doing it quarterly because things change. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because what, what I've, uh, certainly smaller companies don't really have a strategic head of marketing, don't do this. One, so that's for sure. But interestingly, even companies that get bigger, often like really big companies, often the marketing folks aren't talking to the sales folks on that exact conversation. Like what were the sales quality? The marketing folks are saying, hey, we generated, you know, a hundred leads last month. Not our fault you couldn't convert them, right? And and I love the open-mindedness you suggest, which is like, we don't know what the attributes of success really look like until you have the data, let the data tell you what that is and then do more of that. Um, so that rate, you know, years ago, and it's not as big an issue now, but I, I would run into clients and prospects who spent a lot of money. Their biggest part of their marketing spend was the trade show, the industry trade show. And I said, so you're spending 50 grand for a 10 by 10 next to the men's room door, right? Uh, I said, what, what has come out of that? You know, and they would, well, I think three years ago, we got a lead that turned into, I said, yeah, I mean, eventually. <laughs> But there might be other ways to spend that 50 grand, um, like show up at the show, but don't have the 10 by 10 and walk the floor and get to meet people and take people out to a nice dinner. At, you know, if you're in Vegas or something like that, and you'll still spend half as much money and have twice the impact. So it's interesting getting to the metric, getting to what's under the covers. 
Um, as we look out, Christina, at the coming, you know, here we are, like, hopefully we can say safely a post-COVID world. A lot has changed. And we're moving into, we don't know what the economy is going to look like in the next year or two. Who knows, right? Like, nobody really knows. But let's assume some challenges will continue. What does a, what do smart marketing companies that want to be smart marketing companies, what should they really be prepared to do in the next year or two? What's, what's the, if it, like, let's call it a discipline or a way of being, what should they be embracing? I think they should be embracing testing. Um, like you said, people will say, well, we went to this trade show and we think it's worth it, but we don't know. You, there's nothing at this point that's unknowable at the price point you can afford. I would say maybe 10 years ago, even eight years ago, a lot of times people didn't know their metrics because the tools to measure it were just expensive. Mm -hmm. That's no longer the case. You can get a lot of this information for free or cheap um, with the right tools. There's no excuse not to know what's working. It may take a while, but there's no excuse not to know. It's a promise yourself one thing is, again, no taboos, everything's on the table. You may be needing to shift your industry focus. You may be needing to shift who your buyer is. Don't get totally committed to that way things used to work pre-pandemic, but do experiments. Well, a lot of times, for instance, with our customers, we'll do something super simple that has a huge payoff. I'll give you an example. Running a test of what tone of subject line works, mm -hmm. something, you know, kind of clickbait or something super serious and really just factual and testing that a couple of times. The number of times I have seen, you know, the known this is the line in the sand. This is how we've always done it. Fall, thanks to one of these tests, has been remarkable. And people then get opened up to being adaptable to the new reality. So test, test, and test. Don't leave any data on the table. It's out there. It's so cheap and affordable right now. Do these experiments. You will be ahead of the curve no matter what the economy brings. And I'm pretty optimistic about the economy. But I would say you still need to be resilient. And resilience lies in being good at looking at your data with, with an honest, open mind, not being scared of it. No, I, I love that. And you know what that also speaks to, you know, as things have changed over the last 10 years to the point of all the metrics available, the tools, everything you've mentioned. Christina, used to be that you would, you know, you'd hire, let's say, an ad firm and, and they would tell you this is going to work, you know, like with authority. And so a lot of times people say, OK, you're the expert, you know. And the reality is that's just that may have worked before. Maybe their gut. I mean, somebody who's like a skilled copywriter probably has a very developed gut instinct. But even there, the really good ones will tell you, even there, you still got to test. Because if you don't test, you don't really know because your audience could be different than the audiences they work with before. Absolutely. And one piece of advice I'll, I'll give you, and it speaks back to what we were talking about before, which was how a lot of industrial companies don't have a very well-developed marketing function. I think that marketing suffers from being both put on a pedestal and devalued in the B2B and especially the industrial space. The, the being devalued is, oh, we can hire like a college intern and no, not, I mean, I'm a college professor in my right. copious spare time, no knock on college students, but you can't hire just 
inexperienced or underpaid labor and get a good quality marketing program. And I think a lot of industrial companies don't put the investment there because they think it's just posting things to Facebook Absolutely. and so they devalue it. And you can, by the way, get brilliant college students, but they're the ones commanding almost, you know, regular full-time salaries. Sure. The other thing I would say is though, at the same time, and my advice to people outside of marketing when hiring a marketer, when you said, you know, people saying, this is going to work. It comes from the fact that to some extent we put marketing on a pedestal where there's the assumption that a good marketer doesn't need information. It's, you know, we're these creative geniuses. We know everything simply by walking into the room and smelling the wind and the direction it's blowing in or, you know, that's not how it is. Good marketing depends on data. And I, I often coach my, my MBA students to never say, I don't know. And they look at me shocked and I'll say, I know this feels super uncomfortable, but people expect us to know everything when we walk in the door. You know that's untrue. I know that's untrue. But the expectations that's put, the expectation that's put on consultants and especially on marketers, even when they're in-house, is that you don't need data, you just know. And so a lot of times marketing agencies or marketers will say, no, no, I know this is going to work because they've been pushed into that situation by executives who will throw you out of the room if you say, you know, I don't know right now. We need right. to gather data. And so you have to put up this front. And if there's one thing I would like to ask non-marketers, hiring marketers to do is that the person who is going being honest with you, and the person you should hire is the person capable of uttering the phrase, I don't know, we need to gather the data, but they may not trust you enough to say that to you because they've been burned so many times by admitting that they need information and they're not just some magical fairy genius who's dropped from the ceiling. So. Find someone who will either admit that they don't know and will go get the data or make it clear it's okay not to know because that is the environment you have to be in, especially in changing times. Christina, that is fabulous advice, I think, for anybody listening who's hiring marketers because um, the world is complex and getting more so. And no one has, even somebody who comes from like, oh, this person successfully marketed a, a similar firm to mine. It's not your firm. And it isn't exactly your customers and they could be, who knows how many data points of difference. So fabulous insights. Thank you for sharing that with our audience here, Business Growth on Purpose. And Christina, somebody listening wanted to know more about you, your work, your book. You mentioned your book on Amazon, but to contact you, where, where would they go and how should they go about that? Um, if you want to find out more about me and my work and my firm, um, go to thoughtlight.net, T-H-O-U-G-H-T, thought as in thinking, L-I-G-H-T, light as in light bulb, thoughtlight.net. Um, hit me up there. We have a contact form. If you want to buy the book, again, it is called Marketing Metrics, and you can get that Marketing Metrics, Leverage Analytics and Data to Optimize Marketing Strategies, first edition, on Amazon, and it's currently 20% off. Um, so who knows how long you'll be saving your $6.50, <laughs> but Hey, these days, Every, that's almost cents. a cup of coffee here in Boston. That's right. That's right. Fantastic. Christina, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jose. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. 
If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.